And we are live. Thank you guys for coming. So, it's talking to a friend of mine. Uh, it's actually the guy who I put in charge of the Discord. When I take vacations, I gave him the Discord. Uh, and he's been running it this whole time for me. So, I appreciate that, Swifty. I'm talking to him the other night, and he's telling me about this new Pokemon game. I don't know how I missed this new Pokemon game. It's been out for like two weeks. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Pokemon generally uh, anymore. I used to be a really big fan. But this one is a remake of a classic game that I played when I was younger of Pokemon Yellow. So I had to get it. So I imagine a lot of you guys are wondering, how was it that I got to play Pokemon when I was younger? Because not, I mean, it, it was demonized by a lot of churches, not just the extreme of the extreme. There were some reasonably moderate churches that demonized Pokemon. So how is it that I got away with playing it as a Jehovah's Witness growing up? Because I did play it an awful lot. And the answer to that is there are a few Kingdom Halls that vary on very small things. So a few issues that, that change from Kingdom Hall to Kingdom Hall. Uh, Pokemon just happened to be one of those issues. So generally, I think that it was kind of frowned upon heavily by a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. But basically every kid in my Kingdom Hall played Pokemon. And, I mean, their parents let them. And as a result, my parents let me. I remember getting Pokemon Blue. I had Blue, which was weird because everybody had Red. Uh, but eventually, um, you know, I ended up, yeah, a lot of the kids in my hall played Pokemon too, and we traded and all kinds of stuff. It was a really awesome game, really big part of my life. Uh, I had, like, guidebooks and all kinds of stuff. Generation 2 comes along, Silver, Gold, and Crystal. And I got a Pokemon, or I got a, a Game Boy Kiwi, like the, the bright green one that came with Pokemon Crystal. And one of the, I played through most of it. I never did end up beating it before one of the kids in the hall stole it from me. Jerk. So I didn't end up getting to finish that game. I have it now. I mean, I own the game now. I own all the Pokemon games now, but it's one of those things that you just have to appreciate when you're younger to appreciate now. Those generations, you know, because they're really, really dated now. Like, those games are, are genuinely hard to get into now if you didn't play them then. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I, I'm not a big fan of the second generation. Not a big fan of Silver gold and crystal but i did love generation one i loved those games i i still own red blue and yellow and i have fire red and leaf green for the game boy advance and i'm actually really happy to see that they created uh this basically remake of pokemon yellow so I, I went to the store, like, literally within five minutes of hearing that it existed. I got in my car and drove to the store to buy it. 
I don't know. I have a thing about owning physical copies. I just prefer to own physical copies, you know. So I ended up, I mean, I could have downloaded the thing right then and there, but I'd rather just own the physical copy. So I went to Walmart, bought it, and I've been playing it over the past couple of days. And it's pretty good, but I do have some complaints about it. One thing that I'm not really fond of is the fact that they've they've basically completely removed the random battles element. There are no random battles anymore. It's random Pokemon encounters that you try to catch. And I get, you know, they give you experience when you do catch them and you can give them to Professor Oak for candies and things. Um, So it's, you know, the goal is to catch as many as you can. But honestly, I'm, I don't know. I just, I really like the battle element to it. The random battle element. I feel like, I feel like I'm going through leveling up my Pokemon here and not getting used to them, not getting used to their techniques or their abilities or their stats or any of that because I'm not grinding through with them. I'm just grinding through catching other Pokemon. Um, I don't know. That kind of bothers me. But it's actually really amazing to see this old game that I played back in like the 90s, like 1990, I don't know, 98 or something like that, 99. It's amazing to see this this old game completely remade from the ground up it's it's genuinely amazing to see it it's really really good artwork it's stylized art so they didn't try to make it look realistic they tried to give it this cartoony kind of feel to it and anybody that's ever been in game development or game design knows that if you want a game to last that's how you do it You don't make the game look realistic. You're not going for a realistic feel. You're going for a stylized feel, a cartoony kind of thing. That's why um, Breath of the Wild, the game Breath of the Wild, that's why it worked on the Wii U and on the Switch, at least in part. Because they weren't going for realistic, best graphics out there. They weren't trying to compete with the Xbox and the PlayStation. Nintendo wasn't. They wanted to compete in quality, in game quality. You know, they've been riding the waves of these franchises for years and years. Zelda, Metroid, Mario, you know, all of this stuff. And it's worked for them because these games are really fun. They're really fun games. You get the occasional game that, um, you know, they try to make it look realistic. Like with the PlayStation or, or the Xbox, you've got Skyrim. They're trying to make that game look as realistic as possible, for example. Um, in 10 years, that realistic feel that, that those games have is going to look really bad. Just the graphics are going to look really bad. But at the same time, Breath of the Wild will have stood the test of time. So I, I really think Nintendo knows what they're doing. I think they've known what they were doing since day one. They have always gone for absolute top-notch quality in games. Uh, they have invested tons of time and money and work into uh 
creating franchises that would last. They did a really fantastic job at it. So, yeah, I, I just thought that was interesting. Um, I think the new Pokemon game is really good generally, but there are some things that kind of get on my nerves about it. It holds your hand for one thing. It holds your hand like the old game did not. And it's like, did it, did it really have to hold your hand like that? I mean, back in the 90s when I was playing it, we didn't have the internet. We couldn't, I mean, not like it is today. We couldn't look things up like we can today. If we walk off of the SSN and we have no idea what to do next, we can just look that up on the internet. Simple as that. But back in the 90s, you had to ask kids on the bus how they did it. You had to ask kids at school for these little tricks. And there was always misinformation spreading around the school about it too. Like, oh yeah, if you hold down and B when you throw a Pokeball, then it'll raise the, the catch rate. Or they'd say, if you fight the Elite Four ten times in a row and then go talk to your mom in the, what's the opening village? It's not, it, yeah, Pallet Town. If you talk to your mom in Pallet Town after that, then she'll give you a tug or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's just total BS. But Or that truck, that Mew was under the truck in Pokemon. Like everybody who was alive in the 90s knew that story. Everybody, you know, tried that, tried all of the ridiculous rumors. And, uh, and you know, the, the people who made Pokemon, they were aware of those rumors. So every iteration of uh, Pokemon where they remade blue, red, or yellow from that moment on had that truck in that spot so that people could go there and check it out. Uh, I don't know. Younger people probably have no idea what I'm talking about. I just think it's so funny. As a lot of you guys know, I did an interview with the John Cedars channel recently. Um, Lloyd Evans is his name. And I've actually been doing some interviews with a lot of Jehovah's or ex-Jehovah's Witnesses lately. Um, I think since Leah Remini's show came out, if, if you guys don't know about that, by the way, you should check it out. It's this show on A&E called... Scientology and the Aftermath? Yeah, that's the name of it. Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. Okay, so so Leah Remini, she was a... Um, she's a Scientologist for like a really long time. And she came to realize that it was complete BS and created this show on A&E as an expose of Scientology. Well, recently she decided to... Not just talk about Scientology, but talk about cults. And she covered Jehovah's Witnesses um, in this latest season. So you should check that out if you haven't already. But uh, as a result of that show, there have been a lot of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses flooding to YouTube and the media generally uh, to you know, talk about their story, to hear other people's stories. There have been just dozens of ex-Jehovah's Witness stories on YouTube. And they're getting so much support. 16, 20,000 views, 100,000 views, some of them. Just an insane amount of support. So I've been interviewing some of these people for the podcast. Uh, some... You know, these are going to be coming out soon on the podcast channel. 
if you guys want to watch them. Probably this Tuesday I'll have one. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's uh, an interesting phenomena, to say the least, to see all of these Jehovah's Witnesses or ex-Jehovah's Witnesses coming out of the woodwork like this. And I'm honestly glad to see this. I'm glad to see the swell of support because a lot of these people who didn't really know about YouTube before, didn't know about, didn't, didn't realize that there were ex-Jehovah's Witnesses talking about this stuff on YouTube. They're just sitting at home dealing with these issues on their own, not realizing that there is legitimately a community out there of people who can help them, like me and like all of you guys, like everybody who listens to my channel is part of the community of people who who have most likely been hurt by a cult in some way. And if you haven't, then you're here for people who have. So I'm glad to see that kind of support. I'm glad to see that people are coming to realize that it exists, that we're here, and uh, and all that stuff. But yeah, it's interesting interviewing people. Like I, I was not a social person when I was growing up at all. I was isolated for a good portion of my childhood, completely isolated from people for a long, long time, and just completely socially crippled. Just completely crippled. And talking to people now is something that I have to get used to. I have to learn how to do. I have to learn how to interact with people. Um, because a lot of the time when I did interact with people for, for a really long time, I would say really strange things. It didn't really make any sense to anybody but me. Um, and I don't know, it was just completely impossible to make friends with anybody as a result of that. So it's odd now. It's, it's a change to... It's a change for people to want to talk to me, at least in the form of an interview. You know, it's a change for people to be asking me questions about my story or for me to be asking them about their story. It's just it doesn't really fit my personality type. And it's a role that I'm trying to adapt to become better at because I feel like it's necessary to talk to people about their stories. And it's interesting. I like doing it. It's just hard for me to get used to it is all. There were a couple of questions that I wanted to address, one of which was from a patron of mine, uh, Legalize. He was talking about the Pope and his statements on homosexuality. So um, I pulled this up, this article. Pope Francis says he's worried about homosexuality in the priesthood. Okay. Um, the thing about this is, let me just read a little bit of this article and we'll get a feel for what he said. Men with deep-rooted homosexual tendencies should not be admitted to the Catholic clergy, and priests who are gay should be celibate or leave, rather than lead a double life, Pope Francis said in a new book. Francis made the comments in a book-length interview with Spanish priest Fernando Prado called The Strength of Vocation, in which he discusses the challenges of being a priest or nun today. Um, as far as I know, 
to be a priest, you have to be celibate, right? That means you can't sleep with anybody. That was my understanding of it. Um, now, if that's the case, fine. You know, that's okay. Uh, you can tell gay guys not to sleep with anybody as long as you're telling straight guys not to sleep with anybody either. If that's the rule for everybody, period, no sleeping with anyone, fine. I think that's a stupid rule. I think it's damaging, and I think it makes people's minds go absolutely crazy. Um, and I, I think that it's at least part of your problem here is sexual repression and, and the brain just disintegrating in this huge mess because it has no idea how to handle these sexual feelings or, or any sexual feelings at all. Uh, so anyways, I, I think it's wrong to, to de deprive people of sex in general. I think that celibacy in the priesthood is a bad idea. I think they should be allowed to get married and, and have kids and all that. But whatever. If that's the rule for everybody, then that's the rule for everybody. If we're not singling out gay people here, fine. But I think that one of the issues that that you know one of the issues with what he's saying here is he is conflating homosexuality with pedophilia. Other people may say it's not an offense necessarily, but it's like a, it's a sexual state. You're in a state of sexuality, a certain type of sexuality. And pedophilia is, to some extent, a sexual state also. Um, and they're conflating them. They're saying that uh, being gay is leading to pedophilia, or it is the cause of it, or it's linked in some way, when it's not. It is not linked those two things are separate, completely. I, I mean, let me put it this way. Being gay does not turn you into a molester. So it's like looking at too much porn does not inevitably lead to you becoming a prostitute or some ridiculous thing. It does not lead to those things. It's a non sequitur. You know, you, you start with a premise... And you're, you're coming up with this ridiculous conclusion that, that isn't linked to the premises at all. So, anyway, um, I don't know. That, that's what I'm drawing from this. But let me just read this again. Men with deep-rooted homosexual tendencies should not be admitted to the Catholic clergy, and priests who are gay should be celibate or leave, rather than lead a double life. Um if the rule, like I said, if the rule is for everybody, celibacy, fine, I agree. They should leave or be celibate. I mean, you don't have to be part of this organization if you don't want. I mean, leaving is an option. That's okay. You can leave. So I agree with the, the second half, but men with deep-rooted homosexual tendencies should not be admitted to the Catholic clergy. I'm not sure what he's getting at with that. Deep-rooted homosexual tendencies, is he saying that, that people who talk in a flamboyant way shouldn't be admitted to the church? Or people who are attracted to other, uh, to, attracted to people of the same sex as them? Is that the issue? Like, they shouldn't be admitted to the church? How would anybody ever know if they didn't say? Aren't they supposed to be celibate? That means they can't sleep with anybody else their entire lives, ever. As far as I know, that's what it means. You can't be a priest and ever sleep with anybody else. 
So I don't know. It's kind of a complicated issue. But one thing that I do want to to point out, I feel is extremely important, is homosexuality and pedophilia are two different things and should not be conflated. We have to understand that they're separate issues. Um, and I know that the the person who who brought this up to me has some things to say on it. So I will talk to him about it in more detail at more at length after the podcast and see if we can figure out, you know, what our feelings are on all of it. But I feel like if we stopped conflating homosexuality and pedophilia, that things would, I feel like things would be a lot more clear. So anyway, there was another, uh, another question I had here. What does, I'm sorry, what do I think of ignorance of the difference of abiogenesis and the Big Bang Theory? Um, interesting question. I've noticed that there's a, a conflation of abiogenesis, the Big Bang Theory, and of evolution. So people say, you believe in evolution. Well, how did we get here? Um, uh, you know, those are two separate questions. Those are two separate issues completely. Evolution addresses um, how one life form turns to another life form not how life came to exist in the first place. And I feel like a lot of the time, now bear in mind, this is no offense to Christians or anything. I, I intend no offense toward Christians. But I've noticed that a lot of the time, Christians are a little bit un or under-informed on the issues. And that's the problem. Um, I think they're under-informed on what evolution is and how it operates. For example, you've got people saying, uh, if we came from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? First of all, we did not come from monkeys. Um, and second, we share common ancestors. We share a common ancestor with apes. That's the claim. That's what we're saying. That's what evolution says. And it's a pretty solidified scientific theory. At this point, it isn't like, you know, it, it's not like a, a hypothesis. We just throw it out there like we think this happened. We think this is how it works. That isn't the case. That isn't I, I mean, we've gone way beyond that point by now. We've been working on this scientific theory for centuries. And we understand how it works and we've proven it in labs it isn't a question anymore. It's not up for debate anymore. Evolution is a fact. Now, there are parts of this theory of evolution that can be modified or changed or updated based on new information. But there is the fact of evolution in addition to that, which is just the fact that things change over time. Biological systems change over time. So anyway... Um, the answer to that, what do I think of the ignorance of the difference of abiogenesis and the Big Bang Theory, that that does drive me crazy a little bit when people conflate the two things. Um, the Big Bang Theory, evolution, and abi abiogenesis. And for reference, abiogenesis is where, or how life began in the first place, um, where it came from. And the Big Bang is the inception of the universe, the birth of the universe for all intents and purposes, and evolution is how organisms change over time. So uh, there was another question uh, from somebody 
Wasp says, Today I was talking with my cousin, who is an elder, and confronted him with the fact that the Noah legend exists, but the Bible version is true, and there are real evidences of a great flood. Um, can you say anything about that? There is no real evidence of a great flood, is the issue. So, let me just present this scenario. Say, now I'm not saying that this is a fact or anything. This is just kind of out there. Just take it as a hypothetical situation. Say there was a person who lived 4,000 years ago. And we have impeccable records that this person lived. I mean, flawless records. We're 100% sure that they were a real person. We know all about their lives. It was very well detailed by multiple uh, historians from that area at the, around that time. Okay, Now let's say that person, uh, according to these historians, well substantiated, was born of a virgin. And let's say he performed these miracles like turning water into wine and any number of other things. Now let's say we have records of a different person from 2,000 years after that not well substantiated, that lists this guy, this new guy, as doing the same things, performing the same miracles, doing the same things in his life as the old person. You have to assume that at the very least, the writers who talked about this new guy derived some of their ideas and writings from the old guy. I mean, that's just plausible. But just the fact that this, this story of Gilgamesh mirrors Noah's flood so well. I mean, not flawlessly. There are differences. But the fact that it exists should be enough to give you some doubt, to give you some skepticism, to make you question these stories about whether or not they're actually true. I'm not saying by any stretch that it's enough to convince you that Noah's flood is fabricated. I'm not saying it's enough to say that the Epic of Gilgamesh is fabricated. We can't say that with any certainty based solely off of how closely the two stories are linked. We can say with certainty that Noah's flood story is fabricated based off the fact that there's zero evidence for it. But the point behind this is that the two stories being so similar to each other should cause some doubt. If it turns out there was absolutely no way the writers of the Noah story knew about the Epic of Gilgamesh, then fine, I'll accept that. It's still fake. It was still made up. That doesn't change that. We don't need that as evidence against the Noah story to completely dismantle it. It's just another piece of evidence that points to the Noah story being made up. That's all. Uh, I know I'm upsetting some of my Christian viewers, but you're going to have to deal with it, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> This is insane to think that a guy could have fit 15,000, 30,000 animals onto a boat before nails existed, before we had nails, before we had hammers. This was pre-Iron Age, okay? We used, they purportedly had to use wooden pegs instead of nails. How did he carve wooden pegs? He didn't have knives. I mean, it's complete, and this boat is supposed to be huge. 
the biggest wooden boat ever constructed to this day. Um, I think that somebody in the UK built a boat that was supposed to be as big as Noah's boat was supposed to be. I don't know that for sure. But it's unreasonable to think that this boat existed or that the guy could have fit, you know, however many thousands of animals onto it for a year, for one full year. What he, what did he do with their waste? How did he store all of the food for them? Did he put the carnivores with the herbivores? What did, did he put penguins in with polar bears? How did he have a cold environment? They needed a cold environment if they were going to be on this boat for a year. Or they would die. How did he create a cold environment? We didn't have refrigerators. We didn't have freezers. For a year. Seriously. Didn't have electricity. Couldn't plug the thing in. It just doesn't make any sense. It's completely nonsensical. Yeah, magic is the answer to the Noah's Flood situation. Obviously. I don't know why I didn't think of that. If God wanted people to... Uh, if he was just trying to kill everybody, if he just wanted everybody to die, but he wanted to save the animals, he could have just given them a heart attack. Why is that so hard? It, dude just made it rain for a, for 40 days and 40 nights. You, you Are you telling me the guy can't give everybody a heart attack instead? Come on. Or a meteor. Yeah, a meteor would have done the trick just fine. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Next person is Medic. Hey, Mike, check one, two. Yeah, I've got you. So uh, we haven't talked in here before, have we? No, uh, I've been listening for a while now, a couple months. been trying to get on, but then you restructured the oh, whole yeah. podcast schedule. But that, that's okay. I understand. Good. Well, I'm glad I got you myself. on here. Yeah, that's good. Uh, it was a complete mess for a minute there. We, we changed the way we accept names and things. But I'm glad I got you on here. That's pretty good. So tell yeah, me. appreciate um, having me on. No problem. So tell me, what religion were you originally? Are you still religious, or? Uh, I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, interesting. Really? Uh, yeah. So, so tell me about it. Like, what happened? Well, I've been over the last little while. I saw my name moving up the list, so I've been trying to compile things into a jot note format. So let me go over quickly. So I know I didn't have as bad of a uh, childhood as some other witnesses have had. Mm. Um, but I did not have the nicest childhood either. Mm. So my parents split up when I was four. Uh, my mom got married to my father at 17. So she wasn't even out of high school and they had kids to try and fix the relationship, mm. um, which is me and my sister. And, uh, my mother ended up getting disfellowship because she started smoking when she was, uh, in her late twenties. Um, and my grandmother, funny enough, her mother and my father both told the elders who, after two witnesses, told her that she was no longer welcome. Mm. Um, so she she left and she walked out on my father, leaving my father with me and my sister to raise. And after that, my grandparents moved in with my father to help raise us. And uh, my grandfather was an elder. And my aunt and uncles on my dad's side, uh, one went to uh, Gilead and served in Zimbabwe, and another one uh, um, became a circuit overseer uh, as well. So very spiritually strong on that side of the right. family. And, and how uh, old were you roughly when your mom left? I would say four or five. Okay, pretty young. young. Right. 
So I don't have a good recollection of that. Um, my sister says she remembers like them arguing and stuff like that. I don't really have any recollection of that. Uh, my mom did try to stay in our life. Um, she, you know, we'd see her every other weekend or something like that. Um, but, you know, never really moved in with her um, right. until much later, at which point my sister moved out to live with my mother because mm. she no longer wanted my, my dad gave her an ultimatum. Basically, either if you're living with the father, then you have to follow the rules and you have to go to the meetings. And she didn't want to. So she moved out and I didn't really understand everything at the time. I was still young. Maybe at that time I was eight or nine years old. And you said this is my your sister, sister right? Yeah, my older okay. sister, she moved out when she was about 14 or 15. Oh, wow. Um, so that kind of almost had another traumatic thing because my father was breaking down. Like, like you kind of hear experiences of people who said they lose their ch child almost like yeah. they died. Yeah. Um, but she was never baptized, so she wasn't fellowshiped or anything. Did he shun her uh, then? He did, I assume, right? You know what? This is the weird thing. So, you know, we we're just talking about video games. Yeah. And my father has always been very uh, lenient when it came to that sort of stuff. Like mm. he had Serious Sam on his computer. I don't know if you know Serious Sam. But it's a very gory shooting shooting game. And then Halo. Mm. He, we had Halo Combat Evolved on PC. Right. And we were both playing it. And uh, and then you have weird experiences like we we're playing Halo 2 and my dad would just walk in and be like, you shouldn't be playing this game and then just take the Xbox That's away. Weird. And then my friend and I would go back later. He'd give it back to us. And then we find out like he he beat one of the levels that we were. Oh, like, my on. God. Really? So it's like really weird things. Like it was almost like two faced. Like that's how I saw things. Right. And that was kind of I kind of saw sort of this happenings of the religion on in that way and saw things like, OK, you know, my grandparents really believe this. But and my dad believes it, but he's not as spiritually strong, let's say. Right. Um, and he's not an elder or anything like that. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of weird how seeing that that way. And then, of course, my mom, uh, as I got older, she tried to reach out to me more and more. And uh, to the point where I was eventually started building a relationship with her. Which I felt I didn't really have. Uh, but my father and, and others kept telling me, well, you can't talk to your mom. She's this fellowship. She's this fellowship. And they would say the same thing to my grandparents on my mom's side because mm. they weren't supposed to talk to their daughter anymore. Right. But I have two uncles on my mom's side, one was which was disfellowshipped and one that was never baptized but left the religion. And they still talked to both of those uh, children. And so it wasn't really a big deal for them to still talk to my mother. And seeing my grandparents uh, as an example, I would just I would tell people like, well, my grandparents are talking to them, so I'm going to talk to them like I'm not right. even baptized yet. Sure. You can't, can't tell me what to do. She's my mom. Um, and so that was kind of the one of the things is like, you, why are you going to tell me not to speak to my mom? Like That's I, I don't accept that. Right. So how old were you at this point when you were kind of talking to your mom and, and things? I would say high school, so f between 14 to 18 is when I started to build a relationship with her. 14 to 18, okay. So th they were kind of throwing a fit about it a little bit, telling you not to get into it, not to talk to her. And did you say anything to them about it? Did you tell them to stick it, or did you kind of follow their instructions? What happened? Uh, I just said, I just would say to them, like, oh, I'm not talking to her about spiritual matters. And then they would okay. just drop the subject. Okay. They didn't really pursue it. Um, but what I was going to say is that uh, when 
I, I'd ask people like, oh, what's going to happen to my mother? Like, will she be in the new system? Like, yeah. okay, she she was disfellowship, but she's like not a bad person. She was just uh, got addicted to cigarettes, which is something that's very difficult to get break away from. Right. Um, and and, you know, my father and even other elders in the congregation will tell me, well, if you look at the Bible and you read the scriptures, it says that uh, those people will be given a second chance and that people will uh, have the opportunity to fix their their ways so for example if you're addicted to cigarettes and you can't break the habit because you're physically incapable of it or even psychologically incapable of it yeah then it's possible then the new system with a perfect body and all this that you will be free from that and you can then worship jehovah you know in freely and and without this burden and so i accepted that for a long time and i ended up getting baptized uh, at 18 because i looked at all the other religions and i didn't think that they were either real or at least had the same loving environment that I found right. uh, with the witnesses. And I wasn't thinking, I guess, as critically as I could have been at that time. And so I, I ended up getting baptized. But immediately after getting baptized, the summer of, I became an auxiliary pioneer, to, which is why I wanted to get baptized, because you can't actually auxiliary pioneer unless you are baptized. Right. And so I did that. But then the next uh, fall, the school starting, I decided uh, to get a technical degree and go to college. And uh, I didn't have any problems with anybody in the congregation saying like, oh, you shouldn't go to college or anything like that. Um, because they knew if they asked me, like I told them, oh, it's just a short program. Like I should have my degree quickly. It's not one of those PhD things. Right. And so I guess you could say I became very good at dodging those kind of issues probing like they asked me about my mother right, right. i would just say well i don't talk to her about spiritual things and it's almost became a game of you know seeing what the organization what was written and then seeing the rules and then kind of skirting the rule as much as i could yeah and did you, were you aware that you were doing that or was it just kind of a subconscious thing did you still believe it at this point uh well for example like i i knew that i fundamentally disagreed with not talking to disfellowship person maybe if they weren't related to you like i could understand I, right. I wouldn't talk to them but if they're related to me like i totally disagreed with that um but i i was fine with most of the other stuff to the point where i felt you know one one disagreement is not enough to stop me from serving who Jehovah. i believe to be right god right? right um and so i went from there but college is what really change things for me how so how did college change it was it just the fact that you were kind of coming out of your shell and starting to learn all this new information is that what it was or it became to the point where with my early childhood i developed serious anger and emotional mm. problems and i was able to get counseling through that elementary school and high school and stuff and that really helped i really uh, appreciate the help i got from the secular uh, sources right um and so going into college i became much more timid i did you know i was trying to control my anger and all this stuff and i decided that the course that i wanted to take unfortunately was five hours away from home mm. so i had to transfer the congregation you know they had to send my letter over to the new congregation all yep. that and i tried I, for the first year of college it was a two-year program i tried to maintain uh, myself as a witness the best I could while, while in college. Uh, but, you know, schoolwork piles up and all that. And I realized uh, after several months of, of not being able to attend meetings because I just had projects and scheduling didn't work out, all that, that mm -hmm. 
I didn't felt I didn't feel like I was missing anything. It didn't feel like I had a need to go to the meetings. Right. And so when when the next school year rolled around, second year, I went to the meetings and I was so exhausted because now I'm in the second year of a two-year program that I would just fall asleep at meetings. And I remember specifically an example that a brother gave. I don't know if this was a good thing or a bad thing, but they would say, you know, oh, you know, there's a very old brother. He's in his 80s. He comes to meetings and some of the brothers have saw him maybe sleeping at the meeting and, okay. and they would complain that this older brother was sleeping at the meetings. And right. I've heard this uh, this story several times at several different kingdom halls. So it's very strange. Okay. Um, but the, the moral was at least the brother is attending. He may be exhausted from work or he may have some other circumstances but at least he's attending right so that was my philosophy in the second year of college yeah but then i realized that doesn't make any sense right. you're attending you're sleeping you're supposed to be there like to learn stuff why would you be like sleeping if you're sleeping you're not gaining anything right from it that's super so fascinating <laughs> i remember uh there was a uh i think he was an elder who was uh, handling the microphones one time and the dude slept at every single meeting, and he's an elder. And uh, he's supposed to bring the microphones over, and the dude was just completely knocked out sitting in his chair. They were like, go ahead and just yell it out, sister. They, they told her to just yell out her answer. It's such an odd culture, like, where they make up these excuses and ideas for this kind of stuff, right? Right. So let me, I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, you're good. I probably want other people, but... Um, yeah. So eventually, uh, and one other thing I learned while I was there is that uh, it, finding friends when you move to a new place is very hard. So yeah. the only friends I really had, which again, was never really looked down on by my father or anybody yeah. else, but was mostly school friends. Um, and so I had lots of college friends when I was yeah. there, but there was only like one brother in the whole kingdom hall of this new congregation that actually took any kind of interest in me and he would pick me up for the meetings and i felt like it was probably because he didn't really have anybody else he was right. a single guy he was a bit older but you know we had a good working relationship i yeah. guess you could say um going in service and all that yeah um but he was really the only one like i didn't feel like i had any kind of connection to others and even growing up i didn't have any connection to the ones my age because they were interested in soccer and all this stuff and i was interested in video games like my dad so it was very tough to find friends within the kingdom hall. Yeah, I, I had the exact same experience, so I totally know what you mean. And then eventually I decided I had the opportunity in my third year to take a third year, but instead of completing it in college uh, in my home country, uh, I could go to a different country and complete a third year and get a bachelor's degree. So mm. I decided I talked to I talked to like people in the congregation. I talked to my family. My mother was like all supportive. She's uh, at this point, I had a good relationship with her. And she was like, yeah, just do it. Go ahead. My father didn't want me to. Um, this is the first time he's really said, like, you shouldn't do this to me. But at this point, I'm an adult. And right. he didn't really have much control over that. Right. Uh, but there was one brother in my congregation who said, he said to me, it was kind of weird the way he was saying it, because all of the literature and stuff at the time was saying, you know, don't pursue higher education, don't pursue it. But this one brother would pull me aside at the meetings and he said, hey, uh, I heard that you're um, trying to go for higher education. Do it 100%. You need it in this world. This world, you know, he's kind of using the, the, the words that we say. Yeah, this world, cliches. you should not not go without a higher education. You're going to if the new system doesn't come, if Armageddon doesn't come, you're going to be stuck. So just just go for it. Right. And 
it was weird because nobody else was saying that. Everybody else was saying, well, what if Armageddon comes tomorrow? Like, what are you going to do? Yep. You're going to be in a different country and you're not going to be with your family. So it was, it was weird, but I definitely think he pushed, I felt like he pushed me just this different opinion to go. And so I decided uh, to go. Right. And, um, and yeah, so I went and when I went there, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to transfer to the local congregation because I, I Googled where the local congregation was and it was way too far away from the college that, you know, it'd right. be very difficult to get there. So I went and I did my year of, of university and I had a great time. And then when I came back, um, I decided to get in touch with the local congregation again. And I, while I was at college and university, I started getting really into YouTube videos because, you know, I'd be studying and stuff and just yeah. having stuff on in the background. And that's how I discovered a lot of, um, let's say, debunking channels. So uh, anyone from Logic to uh, all these other channels that I thought were hilarious because they were like taking Christian videos and right. Muslim videos and all this stuff and debunking all their their arguments. And of course, I would laugh along with my Jehovah's Witness belief and say yeah. like, hey, yeah, they believe in hellfires and that's so dumb, right? We don't believe in hellfire. Right. Uh, and, and that was kind of funny. And... Um, the point that kind of hit me once I came back home was I was watching uh, Professor Stick's video, and I think it was specifically the one that you you were in. Oh yeah, okay, I've done it. And with him, I think yeah. it was the one on Jonestown. Right. Okay, that was a and guest video for him. I think it was either you or him or one of you said, um, "Yeah, there's a full audio recording of." of Jonestown that you yep. can find online. And I don't even think you recommended anyone listen to it, but you were just saying that it exists. Yeah. And so I looked it up and I listened to it and I just, something clicked something deep inside. Just, I could hear the rhetoric of the, the man, the leader speaking and yeah. saying, you know, this is, this is God's plan. This is what God's God wants for us. This is, you know, the end, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it just felt like, a hundred percent how the witnesses manipulate people yeah. and saying like, yeah, the end is here. You have to listen to us. You have to obey us. We have the truth, all this sort of stuff. It's almost word for word, the same thing. And that just shook me down to my core of how, how creepy that was. And of course, you know, like so many hundreds of people lost their lives yeah. because of this. And so that's when I started sort of opened up and I started I saw, you know, I, I knew about you, so I went to your channel and uh, at that point, and then I saw, oh no, he's uh, he's an apostate, and, right? And so I, I didn't actually want to watch your channel for a while, so I just stuck with Professor Stick and the yeah. others, and eventually I was like, okay, I think I have to actually like seriously look at what I believe, right? And that kind of brings me to today. So that's awesome, man. That's really good to hear. I'm glad that you finally broke through that barrier. Um, I actually know some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, or yeah, well, I know some uh, some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses who aren't allowed to watch me, um, but I mean, they're still living with their family members. One kid specifically still lives with his family member. Uh, she knows that he doesn't really believe it, but she won't let him watch my videos, but she will let him watch Professor Stick's videos because it's like he's just debunking you know, flat earth and stuff like that. But that, that's so good to hear, man. I'm so glad that you found your way out. And kind of goes to what you say sometimes that you can take the Bible or really any scripture, holy scripture, and twist it to mean what you want it to mean. Yeah. And that's kind of why I was laughing at, 
you know, people who believe in flat earth, but then they're using the Bible as examples and all this yep. stuff. And it's just, it's crazy what, what you can believe. Yep. If, it's crazy what you can make the Bible say if you want it to say it bad enough. You know, you can combine any verse with any other to make it say anything. But yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before I move on to the next person? Yeah, I think you've talked about it briefly, but um, so at this point, I've kind of done the the fade thing. You know, I'm not attending anymore and all that. And the only person in my life that I care about that still uh, is in it is is my father. And he's uh, very strongly in it. My grandparents on my father's side, I I don't really have a relationship with, but everyone on my mother's side, I do. And even though my grandparents are witnesses, I don't think they would shut me even if I was disfellowshipped because they already talked to two of their kids that are disfellowshipped. Right. um, But do you have any advice on maintaining a relationship with my father without just full on falling it like without getting shunned by him? Yeah, basically. I think that... um... To ensure that you're not going to get shunned, you have to play by their rules. So I think you're going to need to do everything you can to leave spiritual stuff out of it and maybe even build up that spiritual bit. You know, you you don't want to tear him down. You don't want to make him feel bad or any of that stuff. You want to support him as your father or whatever. That would probably go a long way. And um, I think that the the tough part is when people realize how harmful this religion is and they try to break its hold on their family members. And when that happens, if the family members discover that that's taking place, that you know that you're trying to break its hold on them, then they shut down completely. It's like the backfire effect. They just... They, they cut you out of their life, and they don't want anything to do with you. So I think if you want to guarantee that you, you get to maintain the relationship, it would be to be non-confrontational and, and supportive in every way you can and just leave spirituality out of it completely. But he, it, there's a good chance that he may be in there for the rest of his life, you know, and we have to accept that that's a possibility. All right. I'll leave you with one last thought. Okay. Um, when I did watch the Jonestown, uh, I listened to it and everything. Yeah. Um, I And those first few weeks after, I felt very angry and betrayed. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I've, I'm mostly over that. But do you have any any words? Because sometimes I hear you speak about, you know, you don't hate any yeah. current witnesses. But you do absolutely hate the organization. Yeah. And I just... I don't want to have those feelings of, of hate. Right. I'm with you. I, I will give you an answer to that. I'm going to give it to you off air, though. So I'm going to disconnect and I'll move on to another person after describing or after answering the question. OK. All right. Thanks so much, Delta. All right. Thanks for coming on and talking to me. It's been really interesting. Um, so you're right. Uh, hate is not an ideal emotion. Hate is not... Uh, in an ideal world, there wouldn't be any hate for this organization or, or anybody at all, right? So I made this video called How to Troll Jehovah's Witnesses Forever Ago. And when I made that video, my intent was to describe a, a, a situation in which I was trolled as a Jehovah's Witness, in which somebody released dogs on me. 
That's a little bit more than trolling. That's harassment. That's attacking somebody. And I was 10. You can't do that to a kid. So my, my goal with that video was to show people that Jehovah's Witnesses are humans too, and they deserve respect just like anybody else. And mistreating any Jehovah's Witness out there. You could be mistreating me in a different world, or you could be mistreating a future me, somebody who isn't out yet, but eventually will be, and will become an activist against this religion. I feel like it's important to draw that distinction because there is going to be hate, period. There will be hate. There will be anger. There's going to be after we realize all the shit that we went through. After we realize what this organization put us through, there's going to be a lot of hate. It's inevitable. So my goal is to redirect that hate into something that something productive it's not productive to hate jehovah's witnesses it's not i mean the people it's not productive to hate people for this thing or that thing my friends completely abandoned me my mom completely abandoned me i could hate them or i could hate the thing that made them believe that that was the right choice they are not bad people my mom isn't a bad person. My, my best friend from childhood is not a bad person. They were just suckers, just like I was, just like the rest of us were. We were suckered into believing this thing that this organization convinced us of, right? So I wanted to redirect that hatred that is inevitably going to be there into something productive. That's my goal. Uh, ideally, you're right, there wouldn't be any hate. Ideally, we would recognize that hate is not productive generally, and reform is probably what we'd want to shoot for. I mean, just completely destroying the organization, just just getting rid of it entirely, that's unrealistic. It's not going to happen. There will, uh, right now, there's a member of the Heaven's Gate cult had 40 people in it in the I think in 1996 they believed that they were that there was a spaceship flying behind the Hale-Bopp comet and they had to put like a dollar 25 in their pockets or something for space fare and then they ate some applesauce with some tranquilizers in it and put plastic bags over their heads and killed themselves 40 of them. Now, there are still people alive today who believe it uh, right now. There's somebody running the Heaven's Gate website right now who still believes it. So there will always be a Jehovah's Witness out there who believes it, no matter what we do, no matter, you know, however many governments ban them, no matter what happens, there will always be a Jehovah's Witness out there. So destroying it is unrealistic. Uh, I think our best bet, uh, I, I talked about this in the John Cedars interview recently, our best bet is reform. We can hope for reform. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and if it does, I don't think it'll be soon. But my goal with my channel 
is to bring people in from out of the cold, people who realize that this religion is bullshit, and push for reform. So, um, yeah, there's there's my answer. But anyway, it, it is actually pretty late night. It's 10, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take another person. That was a pretty long chat, but I feel like it was worth it. Um, it was definitely interesting. So I appreciate you coming on Medic and talking to me. But um, I tried to get CDGHJ on, and I couldn't. Let's see if it works now. Are you there? Can you hear me? Uh, do you hear me? Yeah, awesome. So how's it going? Awesome. Uh, I have no idea. So what religion were you originally? Are you still religious? or? Uh, I'm an agnostic atheist. Really? Um, okay. Um, have you always been like that, or is this a recent development? Uh, my parents, uh, well, they're divorced, but they're religious ever since I heard the idea of it. It, it the Bible, that yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like a disconnect because the things they were saying seemed like fairy tales but they tried to make it seem as if it was real right okay so your parents (laughs) they didn't believe it until recently then is that what it was uh no they uh been religious though i'm unsure for how long oh okay i see interesting so you didn't grow (laughs) up in it then is that fair to say or did you uh, like grow up in religion? I wouldn't. I've been able to avoid that, mm-hmm. though I was kind of recently in a situation where I could have been brainwashed. Oh, really? What What kind of situation? What happened? Uh, my father father who now believes the world is flat uh is very very heavily religious and uh multiple things he he thinks all of science and all of technology is of satan oh that's not good Uh, and um well i was in a situation where i didn't couldn't really have contact with anybody ever um even at the time there was no schooling or anything uh because of i was homebound though even during that period it might have been summer so i, right. I don't even remember the teacher coming right that's crazy so you you didn't really have any contact with anybody then or it was just my father and um me and basically, twenty four seven, he played this uh, preacher, and uh, also conspiracy theorist, flat Earth like video shit. Yeah. But whenever he was awake, and he did not like it turned off whenever he was asleep. So I kind of had to hear hear that shit twenty four seven. That's crazy, though. Like, what kind of stuff did they talk about? Like, for example, whenever he watched uh, Cable, it was always shit like Ancient Aliens. <laughs> okay. You know, I've never uh, seen that show, but I've heard that it's just complete garbage. You've probably seen the meme of it then. Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, 
Pyramids, aliens. <laughs> Is that what it's all about? It's just like they blame everything on the aliens and stuff, on ancient aliens? It's it's kind of a meme of that, but it's a bit right, more than right. that. Well, that's kind of interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'll give the show a watch one of these days. So you were kind of isolated from everything and everybody except for your dad, and he kept listening to this this BS then, right? Yeah, and I'm unsure of how long this period of time was. Um, uh, was at, it? It's kind of drove me insane to me. Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to deal with constantly hearing the same stuff twenty four seven. Yeah, and I couldn't really get online or listen to anything else. I it yeah. was, I could never not hear it. Basically, I couldn't get away from it. Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean, actually. I can understand how crazy that is. Although at the time when I was going through something similar, I actually believed it too. So I think it's a little bit less hard to deal with if you believe it too. I mean, I'd just go nuts inside if I knew this garbage I was listening to was BS and couldn't do anything about it, you know? Yeah, it, it I was an agnostic atheist at the time also, and I still had to hear that shit. Right? Yeah, um, that's really interesting because there's a lot more to cults than just religious cults. You know, there are more than just religious cults. There's, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would call Flat Earth a cult or not. It's kind of a complicated thing. Well, and I'll my make dad thinks he hears a voice from God. Oh, really? Your dad thinks he hears a voice from God? He uh, literally hears a voice and he thinks it is God. Oh, like he actually hears a voice. And he wants to move to Kansas for some reason and start a start a uh, church there. Oh, that's not good. Do you live it with him? Like, how old are you? You don't have to say how old you are if you don't want. Um, eighteen. Oh, okay, eighteen. Well, that's not. So but bad, I don't then. live with my father anymore. Oh, no, okay. I, uh, I was able to stop living with him for. Uh, actually, I forgot how long ago it was. Honestly. So how long have you been agnostic atheist? Like a long time then, right? You said. Uh, uh, I'm unsure of when I would specifically have started calling myself that. Right. Though I've basically always had those kind of beliefs. Right, uh, right. Whenever I was like five, six or not. Oh, wow. Uh, that's pretty early. Very, 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 very young. Uh, right. and, for, and they were trying to teach to me about the Bible being true and shit. Yeah. I, it, it just seemed like it, it was kind of a disconnect because of they were using language and stuff that you would use in a fantasy book. Sure. It, sure. It was true. <laughs> yeah. To 100%. Of course, I kind of grew up understanding that all that stuff was true. Like, I don't know why I didn't really connect the dots that it was total BS, but other people did. I do wonder why that is. Like, why is it that that other people realized it was BS? I don't know. But anyway, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me. It's been pretty cool to uh, to have you on. Yeah, I like talking with you as well. Yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's like it's a complicated thing. Is Alex Jones the leader of a cult? I don't know. I I need to make a whole video about it and really, really think about it.
for a good long time before I call it either way. Um, is Flat Earth a cult? I don't believe it is. Flat Earth specifically, uh, I'll just say it here and now. I think that Flat Earth is a cult-like mindset. There's no hierarchical structure to go with it, so I don't think that that can really be considered a cult. But cult-like mindsets can be just as bad as cults. In fact, they can be more harmful than cults in a lot of ways. So, um, I mean, don't think that just because I'm saying it's a cult-like mindset instead of a cult means that I think that it's less harmful than one, because it can be even more harmful. But anyways, yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on. It's been a really, really interesting podcast, really awesome podcast, awesome guests. Uh, But uh, yeah, I will talk to you guys next week.